good day to be indigenous. Get up, stand up. They are going to become more brutal. Cody Cup, Henny Cup gave me. Because all the hippies were trying to be Indians anyway. They're going to become more repressive because it's a matter of dollars and their illusionary concepts of power. Hey, Victor. We must live in balance with the earth. And also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I am awake. Welcome to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake and I'm your host, Wakanja Hade. Hey, Karagi, to all my friends and relatives in four directions, you are listening to Native Ritz Radio Presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Robert Pilot. We discuss local and national Native news and events, and as you know, Native issues, Haley, are human issues, and human issues are Native issues. You're right, Jake. Uh, this portion of the show is supported by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Hey, we're soon to have uh, Fern uh, Runville on, and she is a Dakota culture educator for Wacon TP, and I know she uh, does a lot of other things too. I've seen her in the community for quite a few years here and working on uh, theater and things like that. But at first, Wendy, uh, wow, we have another smoke alert here. Yeah, I feel like I just left New York where it was crazy, and now I'm here in St. Paul, and yeah. it, the weather's really bad. Yeah, so there is a... Um, an air quality alert. We're at 189 right what? now. Yep, which is unhealthy. And according to the um, experts, the air quality index, uh, green is good. That's number zero to 50. Mm-hmm. And that means that the air quality is satisfactory and the air pollution uh, poses little to no risk. Yellow means moderate from 51 to 100. That means that the air quality is acceptable. However, there may be some risk for some people, particularly those who are unusually unusually sensitive to air pollution. Orange is uh, unhealthy for sensitive groups, which is 101 to 150. So Uh. members of sensitive groups may experience health effects. The general public is less likely to be affected. And right now we are in the red. We're in red at 189. So this is unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And this goes from 151 to 200. So some members of the general public may experience health effects. Members of sensitive groups may experience more serious health effects. Then it goes to purple, which is very unhealthy, two, uh, 201 to 300. And I did see that there were some parts of Minnesota, like St. Cloud, wow. who were in the purple. Uh, that's very unhealthy. Uh, health alert, the risk health effect is increased for everyone. Mm-hmm. And then maroon color, which is hazardous, and this is 301 and higher. So health warning of emergency conditions, everyone is more likely to be affected. So those are the air quality index numbers and what they mean. And I think that um, this is happening more and more. Well, you know, we have over 400 and some fires in Canada, Mm -hmm. and it's climate change to the max here. And uh, I hope We don't have to get used to this because this is like, you know, I go for an early morning walk, Wendy, and I could not go. And I saw the 
the orangeness of the sun, and mm-hmm. I knew that that meant it's smoky out. Mm-hmm. It is very smoky, and it has gotten worse from this morning till now, just by the numbers. Yeah. And you could see it outside. Oh. You know, we were just and in, smell it. Yeah, you could smell it. Um, I know my eyes are bothering me, and I'm feeling a little bit like in my throat. I could feel it in my mm-hmm. throat. So I just got this off of Fern's uh, Facebook, who will be on in just a minute here. Yeah. Do the current air quality all outdoor programming in Minneapolis Park is parks are canceled today june 14th 2023 cancellations include music and movies and park events athletic field rentals events and outdoor activities for youth and adults that is insane it is insane and later on in the program uh for the sacred animal section yeah. i'm going to be talking about how this air quality affects pets and our and our wildlife yeah so please stay tuned for that please yeah. do hey why don't we grab our guest here when and mm-hmm. uh a griller on what's going on, but hey, Fern, welcome to Native Roots Radio. It's so great to have you on. Uh, Dakota culture educator, Wacon TP, really uh, great to have you. And I've known you as a theater person too, so uh, telling stories and being in theater are, are really a close, closely knitted. Hamidakiyapi, hello. My name is Fern Naomi Renville, and I'm so um, grateful for the invitation to join you this afternoon, Robert. Yeah. And yes. I am sorry about the smoke. It ah. sucks. It does. It really does. Uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about you and uh, maybe walk on TP. We uh, get some updates because I know some magical things are happening with the organization you're with, and, uh, and I'd like to know what's been going on. So take it away, Fern. Well, that's a lot to talk about because we are doing some really amazing things at Wakan Tipi, um, including our new name change, Wakan Tipi, Awanyakapi, the ones who look over Wakan Tipi. And this um, matches a um, new, um, uh, what's it called? A, um, not the charter, but the... Um, board directive that mm-hmm. um, states that that Wakantipi will be native-led so mm-hmm. that it will have a native majority um, board and native leadership as an organization. So that's a big deal mm-hmm. because Wakantipi started out as Lower Phelan Creek Project, which was a non-native environmental nonprofits started essentially by white homeowners who wanted to improve their um, property values, but who learned about the significance of the site that is known as Bruce Vento Nature Sanctuary, the place known as Wakantipi that is the host to the caves in the bluffs Mm -hmm. and the burial mounds and cemetery on top. When those homeowners learned about the significance of this Dakota site, they looked to Dakota people for consultation and guidance. And then they looked to Dakota people for partnership. And then four years ago, they decided that Dakota leadership was what was really needed in the stewardship of this site. And that's what's happened. So those non-Native people have stepped away from leadership positions and supported Indigenous people moving into those leadership positions. I've, 
I don't know that I've ever actually heard of that happening before. Wow. Yeah. So it's a form of land back. And it's also, I think, incredibly encouraging both for Native people who are working um, around sacred site restoration like this, but also non-Native people who are interested in looking at ways to um, be a part of the repair. Yeah. Part of, um, Fern, that repair started a few years ago. I, I heard there were tons and tons, and it's by railroad tracks, uh, of uh, earth brought in there to um, protect... Yeah, I remember Maggie came on the show and was talking about how polluted it was and people were using it as a dumping ground and there was old, you know, toilets and, you know, yeah. tubs, bathtubs and all kinds of tires and all kinds of debris that people would just use it as a dumping ground. And now it's a beautiful, like a prairie garden. Right, yeah. exactly. And Fern, I, I've been down there with students at... Sorry, I've been down there with students too. That uh, we've been planting sage and and berries and and things like that. So it's it, restoration has just been unbelievable. Robert, I was thinking of you and your students because I was down there in 2018 watching your class plants exactly plant sage, and just this year. I was there recently with Hope Flanagan, and she was pointing out that all the plants that are um, called phytoremediators, things that grow in contaminated soils and that tend to indicate contamination, that there's less of those and there's more native plants showing up. Wow. wow. So, I'd, I'd like to hear more about that when we come back, Fern. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Excellent. Hey, we're with Fern and Naomi Renville, and we're talking about... Uh, Wakan Tipi, and I'm not good with the last part, the new part. You'll have to help us with that, with the Dakota word. But, hey, we'll be right back after this short break. You're listening to Native Roots Radio. Stay with us. When we heal from our traumas. When we face our fears. Let go of our addictions. When we relearn our values. When we live our teachings, respecting our elders, cherishing and honoring our children, when we honor and take care of our spirit, there will be no room left for sexual violence. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. On Saturday, June 17th, Metro Transit is making changes to transit service within your community. As they do each quarter, they review and analyze their resources and ridership trends. These service adjustments to routes continue Metro Transit's ongoing work to best serve customers throughout their system with their given resources. A summary of the upcoming service changes and a preview of the updated schedules are available now at metrotransit.org. That's metrotransit.org. Hey, Ogama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. When it comes to mental health, connections with others can be a way forward. How do you reach out when you need someone? What do you do to support those who struggle? 
Whether you're struggling or know someone who struggles, see connections as comfort, hope, and joy. Like sending a text, sharing a moment, offering a hug, seeing an old friend, seeing your grandma. Together we can find ways to create a path forward. Visit cmentalhealth.org. Visit cmentalhealth.org. You're listening to Native Roots Radio. This is Spirit from Reservation Dogs. Get up and listen. Welcome back to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by Minnesota 350, a grassroots organization fighting for climate justice. Hey, we're here with Fern, and we're talking uh, about uh, Walk on Teepee. And uh, Wendy, you kind of—we were talking during the break. You kind of have a little question. Well, I was really curious. Your last statement, Fern, about certain plants that grow in like bad soil or soil that really—and now there's less of those, so the soil is becoming, I guess, healthier. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? That's really fascinating to me i didn't know that <laughs> hope's awesome too <laughs> oh i think you're, you're muted a, you're a mute uh I fern, come you're... Home with so much knowledge go ahead you were muted go ahead fern oh i'm sorry my bad just saying <laughs> that every time i go out with hope i learn so much but so to be clear we haven't tested this year mm-hmm. and it's been a um it's been a few years since we tested the soil, at which point we did see that it was pretty contaminated with like mm-hmm. heavy metal. Um, so we haven't actually tested to follow up on um, this anecdotal observation that there mm-hmm. are um, more plants coming up that indicate that um, the soil is becoming cleaner. So mm-hmm. I'll have to confirm that with you. But I also do like the, the plants are, they're, they're really good indicators of, yeah. of what's going on there. And we literally have been seeing so many new things mm. showing up. I, I know that um, over the course of the last, just the last 10 years, that piece of land is almost unrecognizable. Mm. The, the, cleanup efforts and the restoration of plant and the controlled burns have done so much to um, reduce invasives, reduce disease, reduce pests. And so that is another big piece of the soil health too, is that the the, um, method of prescribed burning, which is a way of enriching the soil and purifying and cleansing, is th- that is or was the one of those last surviving pieces of oak savanna along the river that um, traditionally were managed and evolved to um, co-adapt with fire. So you know those need fire. Wow, that's awesome to know. Let everybody know, because we're all over the country now, Fern. We're a little more popular than the last time you were on the show. Uh, We're we're on 18 other stations across Turtle Island. Let people know how close it is to the river and kind of where it is exactly. So the site known as Wakantipi is 
basically the floodplain, or it used to be a floodplain before the Mississippi River was dammed, where the Mississippi and Minnesota rivers come together. That confluence is a floodplain that was incredibly rich. It was a um, food basin, and it was a place where Dakota people traditionally returned to seasonally. We had um, a semi-permanent village named Kapoja, meaning the ones who travel light, that was right across the river. So Wakantipi encompasses what's now called Dayton Bluffs. The original Dakota name for this site is Imnajaska, the white cliffs or white bluffs, the place of white bluffs. Although there's also some people who, who say that it is the water that carries the stone from the white bluff. <laughs> mm. But in any case, bluffs that overlook that um, estuary, this place where these two rivers come together, that was also one of the most significant burial sites. Mm -hmm. So there are still surviving mounds atop the bluffs, and those mounds are um, active sacred burial uh, sacred burial mounds that we are um, wanting to see become classified as a cemetery and placed on the National Historic Register. Mm -hmm. And that is part of a future vision. But this site is of particular significance, not just because it is where we brought ancestors and placed our um, ancestors' remains there in our mounds, and our ancestors' remains are still there in the mounds, but the cave, Wakantipi Cave mm -hmm. in the bluff was used for ceremony and meeting purposes, including um, as a place of birthing for Dakota mm -hmm. women. And there is a spring inside the cave that is considered sacred and runs year round. And previously, when um, this was in use as a sacred place, there were petroglyphs inside the cave depicting um, figures like Unktehi, the water spirit, and the Wankia, the thunder beings, and um, other um, spiritual entities. These petroglyphs were destroyed after the um, removal of Dakota people from the mm -hmm. Twin Cities. And then that sacred cave was made into a storage place for um, beer by mm -hmm. a brewery. Right. So at that point is when it started, the, the larger site started to be used as a informal dump. There were the railroad yards nearby. Right. It has been a shanty town and homeless encampment for almost 100 years. So there has been a lot of neglect and degradation happening there. So to see it now, mm -hmm. to see that year by year, this site has been recovering and healing, and not because people are ignoring it or leaving it alone, but because people are paying attention to it. Because Dakota people are leading this, learning about the site and um, coming back and becoming familiar again with this place, becoming intimate again with this place. So this village, Kapoja, where Dakota women lived and grew food in the summertime, 
this was a site that produced food that kept alive settlers. So when the first fur trappers, missionaries, military people, explorers, all those people came here, there's many written historic, historical accounts talking about how the people survived because they depended on Dakota women for corn. Mm -hmm. So Dakota women grew corn. Dakota women are Minnesota's first farmers. And we grew corn in mound gardens, our three sisters' gardens, mm -hmm. there um, right across the river from where we are now at Wakantipi. So those mound gardens that were grown by women, like I said, they sustained the early settlers too. But as you know, <laughs> the state of Minnesota did not view Dakota people as farmers. And as far as the settlers were concerned, only what men did was of significance. So for instance, if you read anything and everything about Dakota people in 100 years of newspaper coverage from the Twin Cities, you will never read anything about Dakota women farmers. You will read all about the savage barbarian men who are nomads and hunters, blah, blah, blah. And it's true, they weren't farmers because Dakota men did not farm. Now, the settlers saw that Dakota women were farming and they assumed that farming then was a menial work for women and that women were made to do this heavy menial work. But in fact, women did do the farming not because it was menial labor, but because it was sacred work that was valued Mm -hmm. And so Dakota men did not do the farming because that was not men's work. They had their own sacred roles to protect and, and care for um, women and families, but they were not farmers. That was the sacred work of women. With our power to bring forth life with our bodies, we are associated with the power to bring forth food from the body of Mother Earth. Mm. Our Dakota people had gardening societies for women. And we grew all kinds of produce here that people don't imagine, like pumpkins and watermelons. Mm -hmm. And so when um, people like Samuel Pond came and saw Dakota women farming across the river from what is now Wakan Teepee, they devalued the work of Dakota women farmers. And they literally said, these Dakota women, all they do is um, do subsistence farming and sustain only their own families. They make no profit. So through a lens of sustainability, then Dakota farming was incredibly um, sustainable. Through the lens of capitalism, Dakota farming, there was no surplus and there was no profit and therefore it was useless and of no value. Never mind that it had sustained countless generations of Dakota people. <laughs> yeah. So this is the hidden story that can be found at Wakantipi, among many other hidden stories. The story of indigenous women losing our social power and clout when we lost our roles as caretakers of earth and garden. 
Hey, Fern, let's talk a little bit more about that in the next segment. i also like to bring up the fact, too, that there's three uh, burial mounds in Mounds Park, but at one time there were hundreds up there, and there's only three left. But this is great. Listening I'm finding to, this so interesting. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Fern, we're going to have you on another segment here. we got to take a quick break. You're listening to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake. Stay with us. Minnesota has the only original wolf population in the continental United States. And 80% of Minnesotans believe the wolf should be protected. Howling for Wolves is asking Minnesotans to respect our true wildlife manager, the wolf. Their survival is critical to our ecosystems, our communities, and even our economy. As highly intelligent animals with strong social bonds, Minnesota wolves deserve to be protected and admired. Learn more at howlingforwolves.org. Let's Let's live live and and let howl. JNS Bean Factory is a native-owned, community-supported, cozy, artsy coffee shop which offers roasted on-site beans, live music, and baked goods. Relax in the beautiful outside patio. City Pages writes, voted top 10 coffee shops. Tucked into a quiet corner of St. Paul's Highland Park neighborhood, this coffee shop roasts beans on-site from the best coffee-growing countries in the world. Located at 1518 Randolph Avenue, St. Paul. The good stuff. Your Blue Line Extension Project wants to hear from you. We are working on extending the Blue Line Light Rail into North Minneapolis, Robbinsdale, Crystal, and Brooklyn Park, and connecting it to our growing transit system. Tell us about your neighborhood, your business, your family, and what you need from your Blue Line. Learn more and share more of your story at yourblueline.org. That's yourblueline.org. Life is a journey, and the Doherty Family College at the University of St. Thomas will help you get where you want to go. Located in downtown Minneapolis, this affordable two-year college provides free textbooks, a laptop, meals, career coaches, and a Metro Transit Pass, making DFC the perfect pathway to a bachelor's degree. Turn your dreams into reality at Doherty Family College at the University of St. Thomas. Apply today at dfc.stthomas.edu. Hi, I'm Jane Fonda, and you're listening to Native Roots Radio. And we're back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot. Native American Community Clinic in Minneapolis honoring health and tradition. Yes, it is, and they do. Hey, we're here with Fern and Naomi Renville, and she is the Dakota cultural education educator for Wakan Tipi and we've been uh, just mesmerized over here with stories about the uh, the area down by the river there in the caves and the mounds Wendy uh, it's just been an amazing show uh, Fern thank you so much for coming on and educating our, our listeners about uh, what's happening here in the Twin Cities St. Paul and uh, and with this sacred area thanks again for the opportunity to talk about this you mentioned the mounds and the fact that right now there are still some large visible mounds up on top of the bluffs. Um, earlier, in earlier years, there used to be 80 of them, 80 of those big mounds. Um, they weren't removed so much as flattened. 
and some bodies were removed, but most of the remains are actually still there. And um, furthermore, something a lot of people don't know is that the mounds are an active cemetery. And there has been at least one um, internment there of um, remains that were found elsewhere and were rematriated to um, Siston Wapiton. And I believe it was from a, uh, you'd have to ask Frankie Jackson about this, but there was, I believe, a construction site or some sort of um, something that happened down by Lower Sioux where human remains were found and determined to be um, from Sisseton. And so mm. those remains were taken to the mounds and placed there. And so this is an active cemetery. Also, um, there's so much myth around the mounds for many years. And in fact, I've, I've seen them still in textbooks that are out there. It was said that a people called the Hopewellian culture had built these mounds. And these were a sophisticated group of people who were killed off by the savage barbarian Sioux. (laughs) So just like this bizarre fantasy story that um, was also just like, talk about being gaslit. But an interesting thing about those mounds, Robert, is that they're not just piles of like soil pushed into a mound they're actually very intentionally constructed mounds built out of layers of sand and clay from the Mm. river bottom. And they're over 2000 years old. So my Dakota ancestors brought the sand and clay up from the river bottom and up to the bluffs and talk, Mm. that's like 80 mounds. It was a lot of work. A lot of intention went into those mounds and as you know they're not actually currently classified as a cemetery it's still mounds regional park right and really only been in recent years that the um, playground was removed and there's now fences around the mounds and signage saying this is a cemetery but it's still something that remains to um, be done here is for our federal government, our state government, and our city government to all recognize this as an active cemetery. Exactly. Yeah. Fern, I remember, uh, uh, well, seeing postcards too, there were trails on top of these uh, mounds. And also before the fences were up, I know people, children played on these burial uh, sites. Yes. So there, in the last century, there are some extremely sad um, stories of how mounds were desecrated and became entertainments. And um, you could go and dig in a burial mound for a day and, you know, find artifacts and take them home. Right. So this is a process of education. Right. And the fact that um, Wakantipi has is about to break ground on the first ever Dakota Cultural Interpretive Center that will be in the Twin Cities again since the removal of Dakota people. That's a significant moment. The fact that Wakantipi itself exists, I feel like right now is a pivotal moment where 
the erasure of Dakota people is starting to be erased. But I have to say, I still go to Native conferences here in the Twin Cities mm-hmm. where keynote speakers don't even mention the word Dakota or Dakota people. So we are still very erased here. And 90% mm-hmm. of Dakota people still live outside of the state. So I occupy a place of extreme privilege as a Dakota person who is being allowed to reconnect with my homeland because that's the majority of Dakota people once again are not living here in our homelands. So, so talking talking about uh, you as a Dakota culture educator, that is your job, right, is to educate, uh, especially people that live up there. A lot of people I know, they were trying to put a splash pad in their few years ago and we were protesting that the people that live up on the on the bluff do not really know and understand the the rich history of that area in which they live this is true however i will say that the um founders of lower Phelan creek project once again who are all non-native homeowners from right there mm-hmm. that group of people are real champions and allies and they're mm-hmm. instrumental in changing the um, tied up there on the bluffs. So it is happening. Mm-hmm. I am noticing a shift. I am, I am literally noticing a shift um, in, in the residents of that neighborhood, but also uh, um, in, in city government and state government. People are starting to understand. And so this is a moment of consciousness raising and the... Um, reversal of the erasure of Dakota people. I feel incredibly fortunate to be here at this moment, Robert, because I'm mm-hmm. kind of stepping into this role at a, at a time when my predecessors have done all the hard work. They kind of teed it up really sweet for me <laughs> so that um, as we're yeah. breaking ground and as this role opens up, that I could be the first person in this role. So I feel very privileged And I feel very invested in making sure that other Dakota people have access to Wakan Tipi and know about it and understand it as a place where, as Dakota people, we can come and reconnect with this land and have a place where we belong. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Oh, I got to say, this summer is our first ever uh, Wakan Tipi youth group which wow. doesn't have a name because the youth themselves are going to choose the name this summer. But there That's... are going to be a cohort of young sacred site protectors. And so this, this, is, this is a good moment to be here doing this work. Yeah, it really is. And uh, we just really got to give out to not only your predecessors, but uh, Maggie Lorenz uh, leading the way in these last few years. And really putting this together and uh, in a really, really good way. Maggie is a leader. Maggie, this is, this is all Maggie's work. She's literally just getting to a point right now where she can sit back a little bit and turn some of the work over to the team that she's built now. Mm-hmm. But literally, yeah, exactly. It's amazing to see what she has accomplished in four years. Well, we had a groundbreaking for the building, didn't we, last year? Yeah, so things are, are moving really quickly, and uh, and it's exciting that uh, 
you know, Lakota, Dakota, and uh, all, the, all the things that come with it, whether it's Badote, which means the two waters merging, uh, the, the Minnesota and the Mississippi, and all those things that are owed to the, the first people here. Yes. Yes. And, and also, Wakan Tipi is going to be a site where land-based outdoor education is what we're interested in um, developing for, especially for our young people. And so climate change, (laughs) we're talking about climate change and cultivating a group of young people who are intimate with this land and know her and will fight for her and um, will be um, acting on all this um, inherited wisdom to protect these places and restore them. Definitely. Hey, I want to, before I forget, which I've already forgotten, uh, is is there a place, uh, Facebook, a website, and how do people get a hold of you, Fern, if they want somebody to come in and talk about uh, this this great uh, project? Mm-hmm. Well, you can go and find us on the internet, org. We do have a Facebook page here, too. And... Um, I should mention that I'm also the one of the native artists in residence at the Minnesota Historical Society this year. And wow. I actually just got back from Malac where I was looking at um, nettle fishing nets there. So I'm going to be weaving a traditional Dakota fishing net with community, including our youth, this wow. fall. And that will be a part of what um, I'm doing publicly and inviting folks to join me. So if you go to the website, you will see, for instance, there's the Pollinator Festival on August 6th is an opportunity for the public to come and learn both from myself and our youth about nettle, nettle weaving, bulrush, other plants that women used for weaving and fiber uses. I didn't know, Robert, that Dakota people were weavers. I I didn't know that growing up. I wanted to be a weaver so bad and know that we had our own weaving tradition. So it's really been as an adult that I've um, discovered my identity as a plant person because I, I just didn't grow up with that knowledge. I, I, and it's for a reason, the fact that we were removed from our woodland homelands and placed out on the prairie in South Dakota. So, um, I, I'm grateful to be here at this moment, getting to know and love and be with my homelands again. Wow, what what a great way to end it! Thank you so much, Fern. Uh, really appreciate you stopping in. We got to do this again uh, very soon. A lot of knowledge, Wendy, mm-hmm. uh, that we got schooled today, and yeah, it's, it's so, great. So much information, and I just want to reiter- reiterate what Nina said: is thank you for sharing the history. And the hope. I think it's so important. Yes. Thank you, Absolutely. Fern. Thank you, Fern, for stopping in and uh, really great. Uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you. See you later. All right. That was Fern Revel, uh, Dakota culture uh, educator of the uh, Wakan Teepee Project. We'll be right back with our sacred animal section, Wendy. Stay with us. Oh. Hey, O 
Olgama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. When it comes to mental health, making connections with others can be a way forward. How do you reach out when you need someone? What do you do to support those who struggle? Connections can bring comfort, hope, and joy. Find ways that work for yourself and others like sending a text, sharing a moment, offering a hug, seeing an old friend, creating space to listen. Visit cmentalhealth.org. That's cmentalhealth.org. cmentalhealth.org. Hey, this is Robert Pilot. I taught in St. Paul Public Schools for over 25 years, and I want you to join the team and make a difference in our children's future. Right now, St. Paul Public Schools is offering hiring and retention bonuses up to $10,000 for a variety of teaching and classroom support positions for the next school year. Grow in a supportive and fulfilling public school setting. Limited bonuses are available, so don't delay. Apply at spps.org slash careers. On Saturday, June 17th, Metro Transit is making changes to transit service within your community. As they do each quarter, they review and analyze their resources and ridership trends. These service adjustments to routes continue Metro Transit's ongoing work to best serve customers throughout their system with their given resources. A summary of the upcoming service changes and a preview of the updated schedules are available now at metrotransit.org. That's metrotransit.org. And we're back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by Howling for Wolves, protecting wolves for future generations. Howl! Wow, that's a good, healthy howl by us three. That was a good one. We could record that and just play that one over. It's a good pack. <laughs> good hey, wolf pack. I want to introduce my awesome and beautiful wife, Wendy, again. And Wendy does our sacred animal uh, portion of the show. And again, you've been doing this for over seven years, and I've learned so much. And uh, Peeny Gigi, Wendy, for being on. Yeah, thank you. Hey, everybody. My name is Hanaji Hihani. That means cares for them. I was given that name by my Dega Curtis. Curtis goes by Mashke Hanajinga, which means walks on white clouds. I'm a humane policy volunteer leader for the Humane Society of the United States, and I work on animal issues at the local and state level. And it's always my pleasure to do that. And right after the show, I have a meeting with HSUS. So I'm looking forward to that and finding out what we're working on next. Well, it's great too. And I, I just have to to uh, mention that your your name is Ho-Chunk. It's a Hodak. So it, yeah. that's awesome. Ho-Chunk name. Yes. Given me by Curtis. Yep. So... Yeah, so we were talking about earlier the air quality and uh. what's going on, and it's really crazy. I just checked right now, and we uh, at 4.30 today, we were at 179, which is unhealthy, and right now we're at 189. That's Jesus. the air quality index. I don't know if it's going to go up or not. It may stay the same, 
but uh, we're supposed to be in this condition until Friday morning, they said. So we have to be careful. Yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit before I get into the, the fires and the smoke that we're dealing with right now and the forest fires. Um, but what Fern was saying about how forest fires are really good for ecosystems. Right. Controlled and, fires. Yeah. Controlled fires. Exactly. And some forest fires as well. But in many ecosystems, wildfires are nature's way of regenerating the earth, allowing important nutrients to reenter the soil and creating new habitats for plants and animals to thrive. Mm-hmm. However, if wild fires burn too long or they're too big or they're out of control and then nobody could stop them, the ecosystems can struggle to recover. Yeah. I think that's what we're having now in the United States. All the fires in um, California that we've had in the past years, the ones that are going on now in Canada. In 2020, there was a awful um, wildfires in Australia. Yeah. Do you remember that? Uh, I just yeah. read something that it killed over 480 million plants and a- uh, animals, and that didn't include. Yeah, it was really terrible. I remember that. It's really bad. But, you know, the air quality right now, like we talked about earlier, you can't go out for a walk. You and I like to take yep. a walk every day, just a healthy, you know, fast kind of get your cardiovascular system going yep. and and walk down to the river and walk around. And we can't do that today because it affects us terribly. Our eyes, our throats, and it also affects wildlife, right? We right. can't expect our pets to and our wildlife to feel anything different right. than we do, right? Exactly. So there's some sites that are just saying, you know, keep your pets indoors as much as possible uh, with the doors and windows shut, Mm. What do people do when it's, you know, this hot out and their doors and their windows are shut and they have no air conditioning? It's terrible. It's right. really bad. Bring your outdoor pets. I don't believe in outdoor pets. I think all pets should be indoor pets. So bring your outdoor pets indoors uh, to a room with good ventilation. Uh, limit walks to short bathroom breaks and avoid intense outdoor exercise. We saw a couple of people today walking their dogs like pretty intensely. I know. That yeah. was ridiculous. Well, and we saw kids out playing, playing at school I know. too. Yeah, I know. Um, here's one, Here's something that's really funny. It says birds should not be allowed outside. So I guess if you have a bird as a pet. Yeah. Birds should not be allowed outside when smoke is present as they are especially susceptible. So that means all our wild birds out there that we see. We have the crows and the sparrows and the Mm -hmm. robins and the blue jays and the cardinals that are in our backyard. Exactly. So wildlife, as we just said, can experience many of the same negative effects um, of air pollution that humans do, damage to respiratory systems is the most common effect on animals, but neurological problems and skin irritations are also common. Plants and crops grow less when exposed to long-term air pollution. So if that's air pollution from stacks and chimneys and all kinds of um, things. As, and 
um, wildfires. Wow. Yeah, it's really today um, before the show. That's I'm sorry, my alarm went off during the show because I watered some stuff outside because of this uh, bad air quality. I wanted to just uh, put on the hose a little bit and and get. We have two bird baths. I wanted to clean them and refill them. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of water bowls outside that are low to the ground with with rocks in them, so that other little wildlife could come and get some you know drink of water. I'm sure they're going to be thirsty. And they're going to need water to drink during this time. So if you can put a little pan of water outside so that the wildlife in your yard can come and and, um, clear their throats and drink some water. And maybe the birds will want to take a little bird bath to get all the smoke and uh, sediment that must be landing on them off. Um, And I set my alarm to shut the hose off and that's what happened. So I apologize for that. Uh, but there's an article here that I have. This is from – it's called Western Fire Chiefs Association. And uh, they talk about the wildfire's effects on animals. And it's really just a horrible thing. So um, wildlife experience many of the same adverse effects as humans have. We just said that. Mm-hmm. Um, when animals are trapped or find themselves directly in the flames path, it could be like a life-threatening situation, which we know. So. Mm. You know, and this is all global warming. This is happening because of global warming. You know, we're not getting enough rain. Places are really dry and timber is dry and brittle. Um, one spark of a lightning bolt or somebody who doesn't put their fires, fire, 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 fire out, <laughs> their forest <laughs> fire out. And, you know, I mean, somebody driving along, smoking a cigarette, throwing it out the window. This is what happens, right? Exactly. Yeah. But physical injuries could also happen with the animals. Fires can cause physical burns and smoke can uh, also be deadly. Oh, this is what I was saying before. Over 480 million non-human animals are estimated to have been killed during Australia's 2020 bushfires, a figure which does not account for insects, bats, or frogs. So that number, 480 million that died during that 2020 bushfire. Yeah, however, direct physical harm is not the only type of injury that wildlife can in, uh, infl- inflict. Mm. What, yep, it's, it's, it's very bad. Plastic burns also, right? So the fires, they come into plastic. Plastic starts burning, um, resulting in toxin, toxins mm. that could run off to the local water supply, right? And the greatest impact of water pollution is felt by the fish. Aquatic. Wow. Yeah. So it all goes into all the bad stuff that's in the air goes into the water and then all the bad things in the water go, in, go and affect the fish. Jeez. So it's just, it's really just a cycle. It is a cycle. Plants release high levels of phosphorus and nitrogen into the environment as they disintegrate during a wildfire. When it rains, these nutrients can be washed away to marine ecosystems. An excess of nutrients in the water can trigger algae blooms, which decrease the availability of oxygen, suffocating the fish and everything in the water. So we really need to get these fires under control so that we can breathe and our animals can live and we can live. Pina Gigi Wendy for uh, that update and uh, for about our sacred animals. Hey, we need to resist, divest, join a group run for office. You've been listening to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake. We're still here. We are the seventh generation. Free Leonard Peltier. Now. Now.